And good morning again, everyone. I'd love to pray for a moment and then um, think a bit about the subject of God being our Father. We've got um, a couple of one-off talks in January, so if you're wondering where these fit in, they don't fit in. They're just one-off today and next week. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for bringing us here this, this new year, this morning. We pray that you might work now in us by your spirit to refocus us on you, to deepen our trust and knowledge of you as our Father this morning. And we pray this for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm hoping there's some slides coming up. Here we go. So the mystery and the beauty of the world is overwhelmingly amazing. And there's no scientific explanation of how it came about. To say that it was generated by random numbers, that does seem, well, you know, sort of an uncharitable view. I think it makes sense to believe in God, but exactly what decision in your life you make differently because of it, I don't know. That's Bill Gates, the founder of Microsoft, speaking a few years ago with Rolling Stone magazine about his beliefs about God. And I suspect that what he says there is more or less what a lot of people believe about God, that it makes sense to believe in a God, the world's complex, somehow it had to have gotten here, and so God kind of fills in that gap. But what difference does it make? It's not really clear uh, how God changes anything. I want to ask today, what does believing in God mean? What does it actually mean? And what does it change in your life if you just kind of have that sense that Bill Gates has, that that vaguely, you know, maybe there is a God, uh, that that kind of maybe answers something, but it doesn't answer some of the deepest questions we have. And, And what does faith in God actually change in my life? How would my year be different to believe in God as opposed to if I didn't believe in him? I was in uh, Specsavers a few years ago getting a new pair of glasses and I could see that um, unusual for, the, for that shop, they had a bit of a party going on. They had um, champagne, they had balloons, they had um, photographers, media there and there was something going on and there was about 20 staff members in the shop that day and I was looking at the glasses range and one of the ladies came up to me and said, uh, would you like... Um, to be styled by Alex Perry. And I said, who's that? And uh, she said, well, he's one of Australia's leading fashion designers. He's got his new range of glasses here. Would you like to be styled by him? And I thought that was probably the appropriate moment to see myself out of the shop. Um, And that's what I did. But I missed my, my big moment. And I think for many people, when they hear about God, they, they kind of think of him like that. They think, you know, maybe there's something, there's obviously something happening with God. There's a big party every Sunday for him. But what difference does it make to me? I don't know who he is. If he's there at all, what difference does it make? John Calvin once said this. He said, unless we grasp that the three persons of the Trinity, uh, unless we grasp these three persons, only the bare and empty name of God flits about in our brains to the exclusion of the true God. 
unless we grasp the three persons of the Trinity, only the bare and empty name of God flits about in our brains to the exclusion of the true God. So I want to ask today about the true God. I want to think about who he is. And specifically, I want to think about how God reveals himself in the Bible as our Father. But how are we to relate to him? What does that mean? Let's think about it together. Point number one is this. The loving Father is revealed to us uh, by his beloved Son. If we are to know God as Father, then we need to know Jesus uh, who has come to us and who reveals God as our Father to us. That's what we've just read in John chapter 17. Um, Some time ago, my car went in to be repaired, and on the Uber drive uh, back, I spoke to the driver, and I asked him the question. I said, um, we started talking about God and spiritual things, and I asked him, what... Does, does it mean to you that God is revealed as Father? And he said, uh, it means that we take God for granted just like my son takes me for granted. <laughs> and I thought, well, I'm not trying to open up that can of worms of what's happening in your family, but um, I don't think that's what the Bible means when it says God is our Father. In John chapter 14, verse 9, Jesus famously said, If you've seen me, you have seen the Father. But what does that mean? I'll give you another verse from John chapter 1, verse 18. It says, No one has ever seen God. The one and only Son, the one who is at the Father's side, he has revealed him. And in the passage we just read from John 17, verse 5, Jesus says, now, Father, glorify me in your presence with that glory I had with you before the world existed. Jesus is kind of taking the curtain back on his intimate relationship with his Father that has existed from the beginning, from eternity. And he's showing us into that relationship. And this tells us that in the as far back as your mind can go, back into millions of years and generations before the world was even created, back in that time that there existed the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. God wasn't just hanging out in the universe by himself as a solo entity. He wasn't thinking to himself, it would be great to have company And so why don't I make it a universe to have some company? No, even prior to our world, God was in a perfect relationship in his own being. And what does that relationship look like? Well, there are many things that we could say, but the major thing is that it's a completely other person-centered relationship where God, the persons of the Trinity, are focused on one another and Uh, loving one another and bringing attention and glory to one another. John 17.10, Jesus says, Everything I have is yours, Father, and everything you have is mine. 
it's really hard to illustrate this from a human analogy. In fact, there are no human analogies that can get to the bottom of this because our relationships are not like this. This is a relationship where everything is shared and there's nothing held back. Everything the father has, the son has, and they know each other with this intimacy and perfect knowledge. But we do get little glimpses of it, maybe in someone in your life whose door is always open to you to come into their home whenever you want to do that. Maybe it's the the person who doesn't mind what you share with them. It's okay. You can share whatever you want, and they're not going to recoil or turn away from you if you do that. And in someone like that in your life, you get a little glimpse of the Father's love revealed to the Son, the Son's love to the Father. It's this pure intimacy and relationship where nothing's held back. And especially in John's Gospel, Jesus really draws the curtain back on that relationship with his Father. If you're looking for something to read at the start of this new year, you could do a lot worse than John's Gospel to see that relationship between Jesus and his Father. This is one of the things that distinguishes Christianity from all the world's religions. Uh, Because ultimately the God of the Bible is not a uh, solo person. He is a relational God. Father, not merely God, not merely deity or divinity, but Father. And if you have a God who is single and hanging out in eternity by himself or herself, then you end up with a God who is not loving. And that's what we see in some of the other world religions. Ultimately, that distinguishes the God of the Bible from the Allah of the Quran. I'll quote from the influential Muslim scholar, Abu Hamad al-Ghazi, who said this, God does indeed love them, people, but in reality he loves nothing other than himself in the sense that he is the totality of being and there is nothing in being apart from him. So to see a God who is genuinely loving, not just loving himself but loving others, You need the God of the Bible, the God in three persons who is focused, Father, Son, and Spirit on each other, who share relationship and love uh, in themselves as the Godhead, the God who is not a loner in eternity looking for friends so makes humanity to fill a void in his heart. No, a God who has everything that he needs in himself and who creates out of an overflow of his love. Remember what the disciples asked Jesus in Matthew 6. They say, how should we pray? Uh, How should we pray, Jesus? And Jesus says this, you should pray like this, our Father in heaven. So Jesus reveals God as our Father, our heavenly Father. Number two today, point number two is this. When we look at our universe... We see God's loving gift that the Father creates and sustains the universe because of his loving nature. 
That's what we see. Richard Dawkins was one of the new atheists who um, was prominent a number of years ago. And he said this. He said, The universe that we observe has precisely the properties we should expect if there is at the bottom no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. I don't know if he has grandkids, but I wouldn't want him giving the speech at their birthday party, would you? Um, But the biblical view is so different to what he's saying. The Bible says that creation is an overflow of a loving father. And yes, there's problems in it. There's suffering. There's sin. There's disconnection from God. It's not how it's meant to be. But it's not at the bottom blind, pitiless indifference, but it's God's loving gift. And in the first place, it's God's gift to his son. That's what the universe is. It's God's gift to his son, Jesus. Colossians 1.16 says, Everything was created by him, that's Jesus, in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him. That's the Father creating the universe through the Son, and for him. The universe is a gift of the loving Father to his Son. And as God keeps the whole thing going, he does it for his Son. And that loving gift spills over to our lives as well, that we get to benefit from this gift that God gives. It's like God throws a party for his Son, Jesus, and this loving gift just comes to us and we get invited to that party because God creates humanity to come and enjoy this gift that he's made for his son. God, because God is a loving father, upholding and creating and sustaining this universe is completely in line with his character. Uh, Let's have a look at these words from Matthew 6, 25 to 30. Look at the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Can Can any of you add a single cubit to his height by worrying? And why do you worry about clothes? Learn how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you, O you of little faith? When we see this world, this universe, just teeming with life and vitality and color and beauty. We shouldn't think this is some random good thing. We should think this whole thing is a loving gift of a father to his son, which we also get to enjoy because God loves us as well. When we look at the world, God is like the divine uh, bird keeper, And the skies are like his aviary. 
and he cares for it wonderfully and carefully and generously. So we need to train our eyes to see the world that way. As you go out, uh, walk the street, walk, walk around today, as you see the world around you, we need to train our eyes to see it as an abundant overflow from a heavenly father. God is the father from whom planets were formed and he's put more shades of color into a sunset than any artist can ever put on to a canvas. And he's the one who sustains every whale and every sea creature and every sea snail and all those things that you can't even see unless you put scuba gear on and go down to try to find them. That's God keeping it all going in his fatherly goodness, this creation. Now you might say, well, today it actually feels a bit more like Richard Dawkins' view of the universe is right. You know, I've, all I can see around me is chaos and suffering and people's lives falling apart and people getting sick and dying and all these things going wrong. Maybe Richard Dawkins is right. Maybe it's just pitiless indifference at the bottom of the universe. Well, if that's true, it's because the creation is not the ultimate and final display of God's love as our Father. Our lives and the creation itself are fallen from the place of goodness that we were created for because of our sin that entered into the world, and that has corrupted this world as well. And so to see the, the fullness of God as our Father, we need to see one more thing. We need to see the death of Jesus at the cross where the Father's love overflows to the world. I just want to read um, two verses here, very familiar verses but important verses. Uh, for God loved the world in this way. This is John 3.16. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And Romans chapter 5 verse 8. But God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's the death of Christ where God's Love as our Father is most clearly put on display for all to see. If you can see the loving Father in the creation, that's kind of like standard definition. But when you look at the cross, you see the loving Father in ultra-high definition or OLED or whatever the new technology is. That's where we see it fully and we experience God's love fully because we go from culprits to children. We go from foes to friends. We go from adversaries to associates with God through the cross. Do you remember the 13 boys from Thailand who were trapped in that cave a few years ago? And it was amazing to see the international effort to get them out and how people followed that. Apparently, the rescue effort involved 10,000 people, 100 divers, uh, many, many rescue workers, 100 government agencies, 
900 police, 2,000 soldiers, 10 helicopters, 700 diving cylinders and a device to pump 1 billion litres of water out of the cave. And even Elon Musk showed up at one point to try and help out. Now, most of us, when we see that on the news, something like that, we sit back and say, that's awful, that's uh, terrible, I hope they're okay, but then we return to our daily lives. But those, there, there are some people who hear that story and they think, I'm going to do something about that, I'm going to step in and help and rescue these boys and I'll do whatever it takes, I'll pay for whatever equipment, we'll, we'll do anything to get them out of that cave get them back to safety. And that is exactly what our Heavenly Father does for us in the cross of Jesus. He sees our sin, our brokenness, the the fracture in our relationship with him, and he says, I'm going to do something about that. I'm going to send my son, and Jesus agrees with this, to carry out a plan so that the sin of humanity can be taken off us and put onto Jesus so that the thing that has caused the brokenness and suffering in this world can be dealt with finally and completely and fully and God's love can overflow to people again and our relationship with him can be restored and we can have full access to him as our father. J.I. Packer said this, he says, If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he or she makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as their father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls one's worship and prayers and the whole outlook on life, it means that they do not understand Christianity very well at all. Do you know who is the person who can go through the doors of Buckingham Palace, go through all the hallways and go through all the different inner sections of Buckingham Palace and just walk straight up to King Charles and just go and speak to him? Do you know who can do that? It's his children and his grandchildren, isn't it? Well, most of them. Some, some, some can't. In Christ, we can throw open the doors to our Heavenly Father. We can rush up to our Father. We can speak to Him. We, can, we don't have to say a secret password. You don't have to do anything special. You don't have to sweet talk the guards. You don't have to pray with special words. You can just go straight to your father and address him as father because of what Jesus has done in your place. And maybe at the start of this year, maybe that fills you with excitement and joy, that thought. But maybe for some of you here this morning, it still doesn't excite you. And you know, it doesn't matter how we feel at this very moment about that. That's not what reveals to us whether it's true or not. You know, if I based my Christianity on how I feel, sometimes I would be the biggest pagan in the world. But this is true no matter what season of life you're going through, no matter how your personal life looks today, 
as you sit in church. I want to share with you how one very depressed guy actually figured this out. His name's William Cooper, and he was a hymn writer uh, from a few centuries ago, but lived with debilitating depression. And uh, he, he wrote a hymn called God Moves in a Mysterious Way about some of the seasons of his life, which have been very dark. Uh, this is what he said. In the, in the second last verse of that song, he writes, Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds ye so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. Often, our circumstances, the things that are coming to us, look like a frown from God. And that is our sense. That's what he's calling our feeble sense. When you look at your circumstances and try to interpret God through your circumstances, that is feeble human sense. Our experiences, our circumstances will let us down. They will let you down this year in revealing what God is like. Sometimes it's going to be disappointing. Sometimes it's going to be painful, excruciating maybe. Our emotions, our eyes, our senses, our experiences, they let us down. They're feeble. They're so weak and untrustworthy. But Cooper says God is lovingly smiling at us behind those clouds. The, the clouds are hiding his face. They might fill you with a horrible sense of dread, but behind them is mercy, the mercy of the Father who loves you. And Cooper was so depressed at points in his life that he attempted suicide, and yet all of these things, through all these things, he held on to God's love for him. And he's a model to us that even in the depths of tragedy and difficulty and pain and suffering, that we can enjoy a relationship with our Heavenly Father. Because our faith is not in us, it's not in our lives, it's in him. So that's the answer when our world feels more like the Richard Dawkins view of the world. It's interesting how people get excited about things in life, isn't it? About a sporting team, maybe, or about a hobby. They start uh, dabbling in it, thinking about it a little bit, um, and then they, you know, Google it and think about how to get, you know, how can I watch this team play? What apps do I need? I'm going to get a subscription. They start asking for the jersey for Christmas. They start watching the games. Next minute, they're getting the season tickets. They're, you know, following every single game. And they're a full-blown supporter. And their life is kind of wrapped up with the team. And the same thing happens with all sorts of things in life, music and food and art and podcasts, crochet, you name it, people just get immersed in these things. And as we look at God this year, as we grab a bit of a glimpse of him, maybe here in Sunday at church, maybe in your personal quiet time, 
maybe in your connect group, maybe in a conversation with a friend, maybe as you pray when you look at the world around you. Suddenly, it's getting bigger inside of you. God is growing in you. Your view of him is growing. And you, you want to find ways to drink more of him in, uh, to spend time soaking in the truth about your loving Heavenly Father, to uh, just grab it. I've got 30 seconds here. I'm going to pull out my Bible and read something. I've got half an hour. I want to uh, spend some time thinking about God. And suddenly we're more in love with him and more engrossed in what he's done for us and we're suddenly starting to imitate him more and our speech is changing and we want to be like our heavenly father and our eyes are becoming fixed on him and we want our families and our community, our friendships, our church life to be around him. We want to do it together and we can't get enough of him because that's what he's like as a loving heavenly father. He, he wants us to know him, to know him deeply He wants us to go to him through his son's cross, to enjoy him, to celebrate him, to have our lives changed by him, to relish his care for us, and to keep enjoying him as the father who loves his son and who's brought us into that love as well.